Welcome to the Peaceful Days podcast series in collaboration with Life is a Hideous Thing, the official Dave Pibus podcast. Peaceful Records, a label that started in 1987 and remains fearlessly independent to this day, one which has never been afraid to take risks and do things differently. Its core mission, to always challenge and push the boundaries musically. I worked there from July 1990 to October 1993, been involved with some of the label's most influential signings. This episode of the Peaceful Days podcast series features Dark Throne. Peaceful Days podcast series episode four. That's a long time, Dave. Well, I was trying to remember earlier how long. I think it uh, it had to be like ninety one, ninety two, maybe. I can't actually remember if I'm honest. Oh, so it's like uh, five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing fine, thanks. It's uh, very well. I mean, uh, depends on what people expect their forties to be like, but uh, for yeah. me, it's absolutely uh, brilliant. That's good to yeah. hear. Yeah. I don't know how to formally start, and I, I always do this because I'm just doing it kind of like it's like a conversation. I'm not like an interview guy. Oh, that's nice. I you like know? conversations, and uh, yeah. you know, you can just slip into the, the things you want to do. Yeah, something like that. I'm obviously not going to call you Nocturno Culto because I never did. <laughs> thank, thank you, thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. I knew you guys before that actually happened. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I did actually the last ten years. I did several attempts on on actually get rid of the stage name uh, and uh, do something else. I can have another stage name, but uh, mm, I always get voted down by the everybody. So I, I just have to stick with it and. Uh, Pretend it's not there, but uh, <laughs> or something. And I just did Thomas from uh, At the Gates like two weeks ago. Nice one. And um, we were talking about obviously he was involved with designing the Dark Throne logo from the start. Yeah, yeah. And and then I realised that I designed their logo that they were using as a backdrop on the tour. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, back in the office days, like using a little typewriter and then photocopying yeah. it until it all fucked up. This it was a, it was actually a very nice time and uh, you know peaceful actually had an office and uh, you know all the employees and uh, you know managing everything themselves yep but you know I guess time just does that but the working relations we have with the peaceful and snapper is you know it's excellent and I'm I can not even begin to tell you how how pleased we are to you know uh, yeah, I mean we, we feel really lucky you know we, we, we've been really lucky up in all these years actually with with labels and and people to work with you know it's just brilliant when we signed you guys for like around the the demo days yeah we got the Cromlech demo yeah uh, who, who did the cover for that? I can't remember. 
I can't remember that either, actually. <laughs> um, okay. Because it's so old. Yeah. Um, I don't no, I, no I, I just can't remember it, actually. It's all right. It's not important. Yeah. But I remember we got one in the office that was actually, I think, addressed to Hammy. Like the photo, Because we used to do this back in the day with demos, is you could alter them and then just put a cassette in there and, you know, you could change yeah. change the artwork. And we got one in I remember there was one in the office that actually was, like, it said recorded for Peaceful. Um, yeah. Yeah, was, that's right. There was only like a couple of songs on there, which was really back in the day. And uh, I was going to ask, like, because when we commissioned the first album, yeah, I think Hammy knew Duncan Frigredo, the cover artist, because he lived quite close to us. I never met him. I guess from the demo to then having that first album cover, you you guys, I mean, you you were very young. I were 17, 18 years old. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we were pretty much 18. I think we had the one 17 year old in the band. And uh, but we were young, and um, you know, this is what like with so much dedication we had to to play music. Uh, this you know, of course, it's uh, it's like a dream getting yeah. uh, getting signed and actually releasing a record. And I remember uh, receiving Salsa Journey a CD first in the mail, and uh, you know, back then there wasn't any you, you couldn't burn your own CDs. So when you put on the uh, on the CD in the CD player. And it says track one, and you know that's that's your track. I thought this is my track, you know this is our track. You know nobody can take that track from us. But uh, there's you, a different. Yeah. Do you still feel like that now when you get new albums out? Well, only on the vinyl, of course, yeah, because yeah. Uh, b- because today those tracks uh, I saw as a track on the CD player is just a, a file. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a file today, and everybody has files. Definitely not as cool, but uh, <laughs> I get this, uh, of course, this uh, the, the same vibe I get from definitely from always from from vinyls. You know, there it's real. I think you've had that. You've been in a lucky position where virtually, I'm sure, all of your back catalog has been on vinyl. Yeah, I think it's for us. It's just I think we just take that for granted. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Spoiled, maybe I don't know, but um, there's obviously for for uh, metal and rock music, there's always people want to have physical formats. And yeah. So I guess it's always uh, the the vinyl will stick around and the physical format will stick around for many many years. I know the people predict otherwise, but uh, I disagree. Do you have any of those old white labels like the test pressings? I think I donated a couple of uh, them, them to um, to a record store in Oslo that is uh, the coolest record stores in Oslo. Because I think I've got a couple. I can't find them, but I, I don't ever remember giving them away. <laughs> yeah. This is years later when, uh, I think, 94, when the, the office was kind of closing down. And I'd already left late 93. And um, Hammy called me and said, you know, I've got to get rid of this vinyl somehow. You're going to have to come and, like, take it. And <laughs> uh, exactly. I think I picked up a few pieces then, but it's, I don't know, it's eventually over years got smaller and smaller because, mm. you know, the original pressings, like, I guess, worth a lot of money now. Back in the day, I guess you give it to friends as presents and sure. go to crazy parties and play them and then lose them. And yeah, them. yeah, exactly. And, uh, and uh, you know, for me, it's, it's always very, fa- I mean, I'm not a record collector. I buy vinyl and I listen to them, you know. So for me, it's just uh, consumption. But when I when I see the prices for some vinyls, it's uh, oh, you know people are fucking crazy. But uh, if you are into it, you are into it. So uh, everybody has their thing, you know. I remember there was a time when you came over to England. We went. It might have been Halifax, and yeah. uh, 
we went to a few vinyl stores. You were buying like I remember you were buying loads of really weird albums, like electro albums, like seventies yeah. like prog. I don't know. You, I didn't even understand what it was when you you see you <laughs> seem to know very well what you were buying, and I was like, mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember. I think I also picked up uh, the Dream Death album uh, when I was in UK. Yeah, maybe that was Halifax. Yeah. Yeah. Did you still have all those records? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Not well, not all of them, but I I have the Dream Death album definitely. But uh, you know, over the years, unfortunately, well, fortunately, there's been a lot of. Uh, drinking uh, <laughs> and you know losing all stuff and you know so i feel like a bird that has been shot down and trying to rise again so something yeah <laughs> i don't know come on ted yeah yeah yeah, yeah sure <laughs> <You'd be> <laughs> but <fine. laughs> we definitely when it comes to the vi- my vinyl collection definitely and it was a very special time for me because i'd never been exposed to like like making records before mm. and obviously i was now surrounded by very new bands and lots of vinyl and CD was kind of new for us too because we were pressing the records onto CD and that was kind of a big deal for us at the office. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think CDs were kind of new. Like 1990, I don't think, like Autopsy's Severed Survival we had on CD. It was like, wow, we'd, we never thought it'd go on CD. <laughs> no, no, no. And that's 1990. That's like, that's like 10 years after the CD player was in, yeah. you know, came on the market. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, it took a, a long time for a lot of bands to appear on CD actually and uh, and uh, I remember Bathory was one of them I think their CDs didn't came out you know it, it was way in the 90s yeah. uh, I think and uh, unfortunately it sucked because they had uh, remastered the whole thing so it didn't sound so good but uh, I have the vinyls anyway so me too I got, I got a friend of mine gave me the vinyls that was signed by Quawthorn Oh, nice. Um, and I've never played them. I don't. I won't play them now because obviously nope. he's he's dead. So yep. I won't. I won't play them. I just don't think it's right. I don't know why it's weird. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's like a time that's gone, and I, I don't want to upset yeah. myself by going back. Yeah. Well, uh, you uh, everybody should take care of the vinyls. I mean, it's like it's like a living product. And um, you, I think it's around that time when you sort of said it must have been when um, a blazing northern sky was out. You, you called the office and said, "I'm moving." far away to the woods and i'm not going to yeah. be around much yeah and i was right. i was like what, what yeah. do you mean what do you mean the woods <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you know yeah. like the whole you know i mean norway is basically woods so um i moved away i didn't know actually where to um i was just hopping on a bus to a place i've heard of and uh, it felt like i was going north of oslo and i uh, found out it was like northeast of oslo oh. uh, on the border to Sweden, actually, it's like a three hours drive back then. Fortunately, we are very few people, so we have a lot of space. But even the in the city I live in now, it's uh, you know around this area, it lives like uh, maybe a bit more than hundred thousand people. And for me, that's a lot of people. But if you drive like ten minutes, you're in the countryside anyway. So I think you must have been ninety-two when you visited England. Yeah, and um, which was really cool actually because. We felt very kind of disconnected from you guys because one, you weren't touring, and mm. we we only kind of spoke to you when you were on the phone. Yeah. And obviously, you were then saying, "I'm going into the, you know, I'm, I'm getting out of Oslo. I don't want to be around all these people." Mm. And, and then we managed to persuade you to come to England for a, a small visit. Yeah. And um, I remember one of the distinct funny memories I have—not funny, but it was kind of weird for me at the time—was 
you insisted on buying a bottle of Jack Daniels every day. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Do you, remember, well, you don't remember that because you uh, well, Yeah, well, well, when you say that, yeah, 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 yeah that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, it comes back to me now, yeah. But I remember, like, saying, why? Because it's quite expensive, and you were like, no, it's very cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's cheap, yeah. And I was like, yeah. you don't have to drink a bottle of Jack every day on principle that it's like half price. <laughs> Oh well, it's uh, compared to compared to the prices we have in Norway, definitely cheap in England. So, but I remember in the office, I think it was I don't know middle of '91, and this is after the first album, Soulside Journey, had been kind of successful for us, mm. and we uh, the label were like having ideas for like you know getting you guys to come over and tour with mm. uh, with Autopsy, I think, yeah. and um, even those guys were starting to reject the position. I think one day we got this kind of big envelope with like an A4 envelope with um, there was just a picture on the outside of you guys. It was uh, you and Gilvy and um, Ivor. Yeah. It was the I think from the rehearsal rooms in Corpse Paint on the outside of the envelope. It was stuck on the outside. <laughs> and obviously when I got it in the mail because I used to go get the mail from the box, so I saw it first. I didn't open it. I just looked at this package from you guys, and it had this image on the outside. And I was like, I've never yeah. seen. Never seen you guys wearing corpse paint before. Uh, what's going on here? And then obviously Amy opened it up, and there was this letter with a cassette of the. I think it was um, like. A blaze, yeah, a blaze. it was pro- probably the album. Uh, I don't. I can't remember that we sent any rehearsal tapes no. uh, or demos on the on the second album. No. So uh, it probably was the was the master tapes. Yeah. And so we obviously listened to it and we were like, oh my God, because it was such a big contrast from the first album's kind of yep. death, death metal to this now mm. very stark, crazy music. And I love that. I mean, at the time we were confused, I must admit. And it was very like special time. And I think there was an instruction for me inside there with in pen saying, these are the three next album covers all in the same package. It was crazy. I've never had that before. Yep. And there was the slides with the artwork. It was just like the first three covers in black and white. And um, we didn't really realize what was going on until we we just took you guys' word for it. For us, we were like, kind of, I don't know. It was a fun time. I remember it being very cool. Yeah, it it was really um, interesting because uh, you know when when we started out, we were just you know young guys with an interest in metal music, and um, and of course uh, when we started, well, when I joined the band, they released one demo, and it was they had their way, you know. But I was uh, I was doing uh, songwriting with those guys uh, when I joined the band, and um, it was a natural development to do. We're young; we want to be really good at our instrument, of course, and yeah. and uh, you know, liking to push each other and making cool music. And um, so I, I don't know. Death metal was like it was bound to be like that uh, almost. You know, it, it was the direction it took anyway. So. But I remember after the, the the first album, we worked on Goat Lord, and uh, that was a lot of work because it was very a lot of things going on in the music and uh, like really progressive. I used to have the cassette of that without the vocals, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I used to listen to it in the office like every day because it was, I don't know, we thought that was the natural progression from Soulside Journey to A Blazing Northern Sky, and yeah, it was. And it never came out. It was just disappeared. And uh... yeah, yeah, we released it in '96 as an album. But uh, the thing is that one day we were just listening to primitive music, you know, like Motorhead, 
Black Sabbath battery stuff like that and uh, and a lot of other things that is much more primitive so I think I got this feeling of why are we painting ourselves into this corner you know <laughs> with yeah. a lot of things you know uh, we want it, it was like it must be a much more freer kind of experience to, to see the long lines in the music Gilby's drumming in particular was more closer to like someone like Neil Peart yeah. on Goat Lord than yeah. it was and obviously on the Blazing Northern Sky you could, I could feel that influence still we were still like playing mm. you know in a, I don't know in a, a very expressive way and obviously uh, the later albums that all disappeared and it became very linear and um, yeah. sort of a different atmosphere and yeah. um, like Under a Funeral Moon I could, I've, I've listened to it recently and it's still for me like a you know, pretty pretty musical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't until Transylvanian Hunger and afterwards that you guys became really cold. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> just like, get, getting colder. colder and colder for each year. Yeah, and it I, was, I couldn't believe how you guys managed to pull it off. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think Under Funeral Moon is a is a result of us trying to get really rid of the um, the old stuff. You know. I mean, we, we had all the time in the world and we were just, you know, a three-piece. And uh, we were destined to make the blackest black metal album ever released. You know, that that was uh, our actual goal, I think, because now we ha- actually have the chance. We are onto something now. Let's make it real, you know. I, I think you guys said something very interesting. A Blazing All in the Sky was, like, recorded very fast. Yeah. I think it was like recorded something like three, four days and then mixed in like three, a couple of days. So it was, yep. it was like a week. It was really yes. fast. And then you guys called up for the next album and said, we want two weeks of studio time. And we're like, all right, so it's going to sound better then. And he went, no, we're going to make it worse. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were like... <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't think we used two weeks on that album either. It was just one week. You know, to give it that bleak yeah. sound was something that you had to achieve. And it, it obviously was very effective. Yeah, and and uh, and both we had uh, we were in the same studio for both uh, Ablaze in Northern Sky and Under Funeral Moon, but we had different uh, engineers uh, on both of those albums, and uh, the engineer on um, Ablaze in the Northern Sky, it was a guy called Eric. He was um, really really. I mean, both of them were very very professional, but they they were very different in how to approach this kind of music, and uh, and uh, the guy doing a place in Northern sky he was um, he was very concerned about not doing anything you can't have too much of this because you will ruin the you know whatever but when you listen to a place in Northern sky it's a very very well balanced album hmm. uh, the sound you know and uh, but of course the the floor Tom uh, didn't get the you know the blasting sound we really wanted it to be on a place probably for the best uh, I mean that album turned out uh, like a really balanced great album but uh, when it comes to Andrew Filmun uh, this guy was completely different I mean he he came in with like a, he kind of looked like a laid back like Jesus or something he had really like a wide fluffy pants and <laughs> yeah yeah something like that and he had like sandals flip flops or whatever and he came in uh, you know we were really happy and a uh, nice guy and uh, when we started to work with him we understood that he was he was thinking completely different i mean he was like okay you want more of this and uh, how much do you want you know and he was like 
going over the top, so we have to calm him down. You know, it's yeah. like it was uh, completely different. It was a good, a very effective record. Yeah, it, it was. It was. I can't really remember what equipment we used back then, but I mean, I, I was obviously playing bass on that album, and uh, it's actually, I mean, Under Film Moon is also our one album with just one guitar track. I found it was very effective with the drums, you know, with the floor tom being very deep. Yeah. And it kind of reminded me of something like in, not Lord of the Rings, but like in Moria where they were explaining the dynamic of like the the deep sound underneath mm. the earth. Yeah. You get used to this sound for like three, four minutes and then you don't hear any like bass and then suddenly the sound drops. Mm. And it was like very effective. It was kind of scary, especially if you were listening to it at the time. You'd never heard anything like it before. And... Nope. You were in the dark, checking out like the sonics of the album, and it's like, oh my god, this is it's kind of scary. Yeah. Like, it's... yeah, and I think that it was um, what we were looking for as well—that people should have this soul-freezing kind of experience listening to that album. And uh, yeah. I think it was very effective. <laughs> it did it. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Thank Nobody, you. it scared me to death. <laughs> I thought that like uh, the floor tom going off was someone breaking in the house. Yeah, because it was very different, like stark sound in the background is like <laughs> really, really cool. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So yeah. and and then going back onto the um, the album for Transylvanian Unger, the artwork, I was just about leaving the label at the time, and I remember yeah. getting a phone call from someone in the office asking where the cover slide was because they were having a problem finding it, and uh, it was getting to like the time when you get it, you guys needed to put the record out. And I had no idea what I'd left, like, maybe a few months before, so I don't know where the slides were. And uh, I think when I saw the finished album cover, I was kind of disappointed, because obviously I'd worked with the two other covers, and it was very, like, black and white. And then this one looked different. It was looked wrong to me. Mm. And I only found out recently that um, the story goes that the slide was lost, and then you guys had to use a photocopy of it that yeah. someone had. Yeah. Oh man, I was so heartbroken. I was like, "Oh, how the fuck? They fucked the cover up." Yeah. <laughs> and not you That's guys, right. not you That's guys, right. but no, you know, there's a lot of coincidences. I think when it comes to to Darkthrone, anyway. I, yeah. You know, um, both in in the recording perspective and uh, the way it was also, presented. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's important uh, for us to to let the band live its own life. You know, um, if you understand. Uh, yeah. It's like. We have definitely some ground rules, and one of those rules is not using a metronome in studio. And um, and also, I mean, after 2005, when we got our own recording equipment again, uh, our own studio, uh, we are recording drums and one guitar live. Wow, no one uh, does that now. <laughs> no, no one does that now. And it's because for us, I think it's important that people... When, when they listen to our records, you can actually hear it's people enjoy playing and they, they're actually people playing this, you know. Yeah. It's not that we are uh, thinking we have to do it this way, but it's the way we feel it's natural for us to do uh, with this band. So It must be a godsend just being two of you. Oh, yeah. Because obviously <laughs> being, being in a band with six people was a nightmare. <laughs> I can't really imagine how that would be. I mean... Uh, we have a very very easy time, of course, because you know playing together for so long it, uh, leaves us with this uh, 
thing. I mean, we understand each other's way of thinking music and playing music. Uh, so we don't really run into any unnecessary problems with the music. And, uh, and we, you know, we're... I think it's like old, old football players when they, they say that the team gels and everybody knows what they're going to do because mm. they play together a lot. So you kind of know everybody's tricks, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you know your yeah. moves. You know you're not going to be able to run too fast or whatever. So yeah. you don't. <laughs> so you don't kick the ball too far forward for them, you know? Yeah, exactly. For me, that it sounds like a nightmare, but uh, yeah. But of course, we don't tour. I mean, so so we don't ever had that kind of problems anyway. So. Do you regret not ever touring? Uh, no, I don't regret it, and um, it's like I I really really seriously doubt we will ever play live. Because then we have to use a whole year, you know, just to prepare for, for live. Uh, because if we are should prepare for it, we will, of course, play several shows in, uh, yeah. in 18 months, you know. And um, using so much time to just to entertain people on the stage, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I won't do that because I I miss out on on the other things I usually do in the summer and in the in the winter, you know. And I'm a guy that likes uh, my routines and you know my quietness. And I think also playing live now um, will of course means I mean it will be like a like big business, you know. Yeah. And uh, big business equals pressure, and I don't like pressure. No. And I know, I know, Gilbert don't like pressure either. And um, we have to enjoy what we are doing; otherwise, we can just uh, don't play, you know. Yeah, of course. So we we're trying to keep this as healthy as possible because making the albums and making the music—that's what's important to us, and um, that's what we want to leave behind, you know. And not some kind of a epic uh, stage uh, show, you know. It's it's yeah. not for us. It's it's for other people. I mean, other people. Go ahead, but for us, I don't think so. I think you guys are very, very lucky in that respect. Yeah, I think I think so. Stick think. to your guns, man. <laughs> I think we, I think we, we are going to do that, and um, it's it's for our own uh, mental yeah. health situation, and and um, certainly, I mean, I can get really easily bored with myself as a person, you know. Yeah. Like I mean, uh, if I am to expose myself or what I mean, who who am I? You know, <laughs> I like to play music, you know, and uh, I like the quiet lifestyle. You know, I can understand rock and roll, you know, you know, uh, but I think yeah, I think we never wear any. Well, maybe we had a little rock and roll kind of personality period in our life. I mean, everybody has it, but I think uh, the, the people I knew back in the days playing in other bands uh, and myself and, and, you know, everybody I knew. It was like coming from another kind of place, you know, where we, we, we try to, to see ourselves as, um, I don't know, <laughs> northern kings? I don't know. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> no. I don't know what to say, but uh, you, you get my... Uh, I do. I, do, I totally uh, understand you. And another shocking thing for us in the office was we got the phone call that you guys had decided that you weren't ever going to tour. You know, you yep. said we're not playing live anymore, yep. and you guys are still very young, so we thought that was natural. But yeah. then you then you called the office and said, "Nope, we've hit poses, hit people, yep. uh, we're not going on tour." So I was then left with this conversation on the phone. I put the phone down, and I was like, "Well, they're not going to lose anything by me booking a tour in England for like five days, mm. get it all in the press. Dark Front are going to go on tour, and then cancel it 
and then put out a press release of just what you just said, which is basically everybody's poses. We hate everyone. We're not going to tour ever. And nope. that's and that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> but it got in the press that you guys had said exactly what you said. Yeah. And I, I said to Hammy, like, it doesn't make any difference because they're not going to come anyway. Oh. They haven't hurt any, anything because they've already said they're not coming. All you've yeah. done is given you guys like a really cool position. The fact that you've just called everybody poses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny, you know, because uh, as you say, I mean, being so young, you should you should think that it's very natural for us to. Yeah, of course, on. we want to exploit this new kind of opportunity we got, you know. But it wasn't like that. Obviously, we didn't like traveling back then either. So I yeah. was very lucky with that because obviously it could have blown up in my face. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Quite badly, but I think the promoter knew. He knew that it was just like, nah, this is never going to happen. Mm. But uh, I don't think I've ever told anybody that. I haven't really thought about all those Old things, things yeah. you know, for, for, for many, 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 many years. And, uh... There was another thing that I did that I might have originally been a mistake. And on, on a Blazing Northern Sky, I put the date 1991. Yeah. And obviously you guys recorded it in 91 and it was released in February 92. Yeah. So it should have said technically 92. Mm. But I was very young with the artwork and I, maybe I fucked it up there. But in reality, in my heart, I didn't want to change it because the album was recorded in 91. And that's when you guys were trying to make the statement as fast as possible. Yeah. You know, like it didn't want to come out in 92. Yeah. I mean, uh, this has always been confusing to me as well, actually. Uh, I mean, Salsa Journey came out in... 1990. <laughs> yeah, 1990, yeah, something like that. Yeah, okay. Possibly. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Actually. Because uh, all those uh, release years has been like, there's been a lot of disagreeing. And uh, I think when you say it was actually released in February 92, it makes more sense for me because I, I, I've i been in a lot of positions where I had to think about where when was this yeah, album no. actually released, you know. So it was a mistake. <coughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so Soulside Journey was released in January 91. So this was maybe a year later. Yeah. But you guys were, you know, been very fast with the change. So fast that we only found out from this letter. We, did, we didn't even really realize what was going on until we got this package with the artwork and the master tapes. Uh, I think you guys were obviously waiting for, to get it all together for, to basically pull that trick on us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That you, so we couldn't uh, maybe uh, make, make a big deal out of it. But yeah, I think it was a mistake with um, the 91 thing. It's funny that, uh, that the picture of us were outside the package and... Uh, it's probably to uh, to give Shockers. you guys a yeah no to, to give you guys a heads up what was uh, going to happen. Uh, I think that they were from the rehearsal room. I don't think those oh, they were very cool pictures actually. I don't think they were used on any of the records because yeah. obviously I was having to build the back of the covers with the pictures you sent me, and um, I wish I could do it all again now because you know obviously being a graphic designer you can see mistakes and yeah. could have done it better and ugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never, never done anything like that before and then I, I, I told this to Chris from Autopsy I changed the color of the disc on the CD yeah and I think uh, A Blazing on the Sky was the first one was white yeah that's right uh, yeah and I called the guy in the factory and said uh, okay when it gets to 2000 change it to black yeah uh, and he was like why I was like well, I, don't, I don't know I just want to do it <laughs> yeah yeah and I guess that made the uh, first pressing very rare. I just wanted it to be different, you know. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I actually, um, I actually saw that first edition of my uh, 
a blaze CD with white CD. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it when I just moved now, and uh, it's nice to see it again. That, for me personally, was another mistake because you guys were trying to be as dark as possible, so the disc should have been black. <laughs> uh, well, we, we thought that was uh, really great because uh, white is like a... For here in Norway, definitely, it's a, like a cold color, you know, like snow, snow. or something. Yeah. yeah. When we look outside and we see all the pines with a lot of uh, snow on it, it. I think when I obviously changed it to black, I was thinking, right, I finally corrected the mistake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't yeah. have been white in the first place because it looked kind of white. Yeah. You know, and you're a black metal band. I kind of lost touch with you guys after I'd left the label and um, I realized that, you know, Transylvanian cover was, for me, like, wrong. Um, I kind of lost track with you guys' career then, you know, and you guys were putting out a lot of records for a while. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, yeah. pretty fast. Yeah, we did. Uh, we were very effective. Uh, I mean, uh, whenever we think about uh, Darkthrone, we are actually doing something productive, you know, yeah. uh, like making music. So, and and since we don't play, we are all we we can release a lot of records. But uh, we actually had a natural break now for a couple of years due to whatever i mean i think we were kind of exhausted with the yeah. underground resistance because it actually peaked uh, somehow in that so i think um, what we are about to do now is uh, is different again so. and you've got a new uh, cd coming out which is part of the vinyl you just did what's it called black death and beyond yeah yeah that's right and that's coming out on cd yeah it looks really nice that looked like a lot of work yeah we we worked in I think it took like a year or something at least to um, to share stories with the with the writer uh, to meet him of course in Oslo and uh, spending some time with him and of course all the design work and we of course had the choice to I mean how much of um, your personal life are you going to reveal now you know like personal information or whatever Well thanks for your time Ted Yeah sure it's uh, it's nice um uh, it's always uh, well. This was kind of interesting. Uh, I've been forced to think about uh, stuff. a few different things. Yeah. And uh, nice talking to you, Dave. And, Cheers, uh, man. You know, it's, if it's something, stay in touch. Okay.